Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. This morning, we are getting our first glimpse at the devastation in the Lower Keys. Boats on the roads. Cars buried under sand. Oh my God. I'm gonna start crying. This is unreal. Zach Coleman. So this is a really consequential project that I know you've been working on for a while. I wanted to start off just sort of, uh, you know, digging inside the wheels here. How did you go about reporting out this story and how long did it take you? Um, <laughs> how long did it take me? I don't know. I mean, like, I, I've kind of been thinking about this since, I want to say, January. It's just one of those things that is so personal to people, their home. And we know that Climate change is going to come for our communities. It already is. This lake seemingly appeared within half an hour, covering farmland that surrounds his home. He says this water is the result of a storm and snow that melted too quickly. We've seen entire communities get leveled by wildfires. The campfire destroyed Paradise and the surrounding neighborhoods of Concow and Megalia so quickly that most of the 85 people who died didn't even make it outside of their homes. By hurricanes. Insurance losses from Irma, including homes, businesses, and vehicles, are estimated to cost between 20 and $40 billion. And it's now like one of those things where we expect it every year and we think, how could it still be this bad? It's going to get worse. And we have a whole financial system tied up in mortgages and putting people in certain areas and making sure they have access to financing so they can live the American dream. And we're not necessarily thinking about, are those the right places to put people? And that's kind of where I started at this from. I'm Anthony Adragna, and this is Politico Energy. Natural disasters are becoming more common, stronger, and more widespread across the United States and the world. We are back here on the northern side. Of, uh, of San Juan here. I can only imagine what went down when this thing made landfall in the southeast corner of this island. Obviously, the eye getting closer and closer to us, that eye wall now scraping the northern beaches here. And with destruction rising exponentially every year, these disasters are becoming a liability to global financial systems. Today, my colleague Zach Coleman on how climate change is helping create another housing market bubble. So, yeah, you started the piece, and I imagine in a pre-pandemic period, you probably would have gone down and visited Hylia. Why is that the area that you thought worthy of highlighting first in this story? And why is that city emblematic of the broader problem here? When you think about it, it's pretty easy to understand why someone would pick South Florida for a story about climate change and home ownership. Jim Durhan is picking up the pieces of his 65-room hotel in Fort Lauderdale. It gets very emotional. I broke down a couple times. But Hialeah was interesting because one of the things about Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac is they purchase the home loans from private lenders. They have to do it. There's still a limit, though, on the maximum value of a mortgage. So anything under about 500 grand, they're obligated to, to purchase. So Hialeah is a working class community, a lot of Cuban immigrants as well. So you think about what was Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac set up to do? It was designed to put people in homes, people who had traditionally been shut out of uh, financial markets, but they're also in a area that is potentially going to be underwater by the end of the century. 
And there are people living today who are in their homes that might actually be submerged by the seas before they die. So I want to be sure I understand this phenomenon properly. So in a lot of these homes that are valued below this threshold that you mentioned, Fannie and Freddie will buy those mortgages. And then the concern is that as climate change worsens, these homes are flooded out or permanently submerged, that the government doesn't get those those loans back and that this is kind of a time bomb that's throughout the entire country. Is that basically what you're finding? Right. That is That is the concern. Now, there are some safeguards. If you do have flood insurance and you're in the 100-year floodplain, there is an insurance policy up to $250,000 worth of damage gets covered, so you know you should be okay. But what I found and what a lot of researchers have also found is that there's quite a bit of lapsed coverage. Uh, even though regulators say that there are checks required to ensure every year that someone in the federal floodplain, if they have a federally backed mortgage, is current on their flood insurance. We found that that's not always the case. When something has a low probability of happening, people think it'll never happen. But if it rains where you live, it can flood where you live. We also know that the flood maps are outdated. So if we think about climate change worsening every year, and we think about the fact that our federal flood maps are outdated, and on top of that, they don't project out future climate change, then we're likely seeing a lot of subsidization of homes in areas that are prone to flooding. And that is a bad situation for everyone. I think one of the more striking things I found in your reporting is it's not like this is something that people don't know about and that, you know, housing officials are, are quite aware of this problem, that it's likely to get worse, but just sort of feel uh, powerless or unable to address it? Yeah, that's the crazy thing about this, right? There are a lot of people at the Federal Housing Finance Agency that are exploring how do we do climate pricing, but they're walking gingerly down this path. Think about if you were to price climate risk, that's going to create such steep lending terms that you wouldn't be able to actually get a mortgage in those communities. So it's one of those things where the federal government needs to probably start to act now in calculated steps to avoid having to play catch up after the private market has decided to take matters into their own hands. One component that I think you hinted at earlier, but I think is really important, is that oftentimes these communities that are you know, most prone to these risks down the line tend to be communities of color and underserved communities. Can you speak more to that dynamic and how, that, how those communities are particularly affected by some of these risks down the line? So it's not that Black people wanted to end up in low-lying areas that are flood-prone and completely disinvested in for infrastructure that would make their communities flood less. That was something that they were pushed into by racist housing policies and, and banking policies and zoning policies. African-Americans across the country have always been placed in areas where there are lots of industries or low-lying areas. And it was due large and in part because of systemic racism across our country. And what you would have in a scenario in which climate pricing was reflected in mortgage terms is disproportionately speaking, Black Americans, Latino Americans would 
face you know equity concerns their their home values would crater what you would hope would happen would be improving the infrastructure in communities of color that face a disproportionate amount of flooding but uh, you know that costs a lot of money so you've got to be careful in how you would change the status quo because doing so uh, might actually create just as many problems as leaving these in place. You you mentioned in, in the piece um, the potential for a lot of these factors to sort of snowball and create some of the similar conditions we saw to the last financial crisis. I wonder if there's anything, it, it may be that this is too hard to, to quantify, but in terms of systemic risk to the financial sector, do we have any idea you know, how big of a problem this could be if kind of the worst case scenarios are realized? Well, you you know, it's it's not something that you could easily predict. But the kind of common scenario you hear arise is if there is a lot of offloading of climate vulnerable mortgages by private lenders to Fannie and Freddie, and people take note of private lenders pulling out of certain markets then you have other investors pulling out of certain markets and you have property values uh, falling. If you start to have that in one community and you realize, well, that's not the only community that's affected by existential climate change every year. There's a lot of knock-on effects and that's the systemic risk that people keep bringing up about climate change in the financial sector. You could say it's just going to be one portion of the economy, but the economy is very interconnected. And if you start seeing it in one place, it could have spillover effects into another.